0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Say hi if you want to. I I need to add that in, right? No, it's
1: too late to pretend to be nice. I mean, everyone's well aware of your act by now.
0: Okay, greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, I just want to reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, so if you're looking for some sort of information on something else, like, say, foodstuffs, this is the wrong podcast for you. Um, In fact, I usually use this time in the podcast to ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Ben, the floor is all yours.
1: You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line.
0: And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, uh, EV Pulse, and TechSpot. Ben, this week I want you to talk about just another Korean crossover that you've been testing. Hit me with it. Come on. So this one is a vehicle that I
1: was excited to drive, Sam. Well, I don't know if I was excited, but I was curious and I was looking forward to it. And it's the 2021 Kia Seltos.
0: You were excited about driving the new Kia Seltos. Attenua- as, as, as far as I understand it as a subcompact crossover?
1: I attenuated my language, okay. I was looking <laughs> forward to, I was interested in it because as you and I both know, sometimes these small crossovers can be pleasantly surprising. And you know what I'm
0: thinking of, Sammy? Uh, definitely not the HRV. No,
1: but the Nissan
0: Kicks. Oh, yeah, the Nissan kit. I feel
1: Which like, I think, honestly, like- I'm surprised that you didn't pick up on that because we don't – for people who are – maybe this is their first episode, um, we don't podcast it live with each other. Sammy's in Toronto and I'm in Montreal. And I, I assume that Sammy has a huge blow-up photo of the kicks on his wall
0: in front of his podcast station because mm. that's how much he loves it. Uh, It's been taken down recently, but I don't really – it's very funny that you talk about the Kicks when comparing to the to the Celtos, mainly because the Kicks, as far as I remember, is a front-wheel drive-only subcompact crossover, and I tend to put that in a different space than vehicles like the Celtos, which can be had with all-wheel drive. It's also a lot lighter. I think the Seltos is like
1: 500 to 600 pounds heavier.
0: Than... oh so it, ha- it not only doesn't have four-driven wheels, but it's missing a lot of sound deadening or something.
1: So all this <laughs> to say that, the Celto's could have been really good, and a, a big part of why I I use the word could have and why I say I was looking forward to it is I think it's a very handsome looking crossover, especially from the front. Uh, there are a number of boring, bland, or kind of weird looking vehicles in this space. I think that this the the we've talked over and over about how crossovers, smaller ones, compact, subcompact, it's just no one. No one really knows what these vehicles are anymore. They've become almost uh, just this weird mass of people moving vehicles, and there's not really a standard to them. So there have been some experimental designs out there, and I think that the Seltos stands out as one of the better-looking, upright, kind of rugged, but not overwhelmingly so takes on what a small crossover should be.
0: Uh, I think that's a good point. My biggest complaint with the crossover space isn't that there's just so many of them. It's that many of them look exactly the same. They have a you could you could close your eyes and imagine a subcompact crossover, you can uh sketch a profile in your brain, and whatever you look at be will be close enough to what it really is. Yeah, right? I, like,
1: I, I agree. And I think, you know, Kia's done a good job with this vehicle in the sense that if you look at it, you know it's a Kia. It has that distinctive front end. Uh, but it also doesn't really look like too many other vehicles. I think that Kia's styling or design language has been fairly, um, what's the word, well reined in. I, know, I, I think they, they've taken chances in a few areas, but for the most part, Kia, it, it, it's, it's distinctive. And you're not really going to confuse it for another vehicle. So it had all that going for it. And then I opened the door and closed it and I heard, I started hearing the rattles. And that's Ooh. kind of yeah, that's kind of where I want to start with the Seltos. I'm not used to a Kia feeling cheapish, and the Seltos... Yeah, I think
0: that's fair to say though. Like, like put it in perspective. There are like many of the Hyundai Kia vehicles um, achieve excellent value. They're available at low prices. They're filled with all sorts of features, and they end up feeling worth that the worth their price, well worth their prices because they don't feel like. Uh, like they cheapened out on anything no this this is the, these
1: are vehicles that typically punch above their weight. And mm-hmm. I was driving this SX Turbo, which is the top trim level of the Seltos. It starts at 27990 nine ninety, and mine had a few options on it. Most conspicuously, the sunroof. I believe my, my vehicle had a sunroof. It, I, it's funny that I don't know. It's just because it's been so dark and snowy here in Montreal that I haven't been opening any of the sunroofs. Or even if they are open, there's so much snow on top of the vehicle, you can't tell whether the sun's mm-hmm. coming through. Anyway, regardless... You can build a $29,000 version of the SX Turbo. That vehicle oh, okay. is right there.
0: Um, so what you're trying to say as well is like, this isn't a super affordable, it's not like a budget-oriented like a budget oriented car, right?
1: No, it, there is a version of that. The LX is only $21,990. That's a very affordable car. I I would have to hope that that's the version most people are going to be attracted to because I did not feel like the SX Turbo delivered on the value proposition. And it started with, as I mentioned, things feeling kind of cheapish. The doors just felt kind of tinny when I was closing them. And I also had a rattle in the back of the vehicle when I was driving. And I think that was because of the cargo cover. It was one of those like pressed cardboard cargo covers instead of the standard vinyl ones. So it just kind of sits on top of the cargo area and it bounces up and down. And that that was kind of annoying. And, you know, I haven't noticed that in any other vehicle in quite a long time. I think that's because people have moved away from those types of cargo covers in SUVs. Correct me if I'm wrong. was the last time you ran into one?
0: Yeah, I can't remember the, the last time I saw one. It's got to be in something like the Kix or, that is just like this one single piece of like material. That's all it is, right? Yeah,
1: and they're annoying because they're in the way. Like <clears throat> if, if you want to put something that's tall in the back of the vehicle... Normally on a cargo cover, you can if it's one of the vinyl pull-out ones, you just release it and you have the bar to deal with that's still there. But there's a lot of room where you can stack stuff. But on these. They lift up with the hatch, and then once the hatch goes down, they, they're they touching whatever you have underneath the the cargo cover if it's too tall. And I ended up having to take it out and fold the seats down and push it way forward and then put stuff on top of it. And, like, that's yeah. not ideal because I'm going to crack it or break it or something. But-
0: yeah, yeah. I know exactly. You know what? There are other ones that I've seen that are kind of like this mesh, these, like, one, like, really flimsy, meshy things. Have you seen those before? No. No? Okay. Maybe that's – maybe – I think that's in something like the, the sole or something. But yeah, uh there are a whole bunch of different like options there. But if you're hearing that rattling, that means that it it's not like fixed in properly. There's no like little like notch or it no, sits on, on top or something.
1: It sits on top of a pivot point and then it's lifted by a pair of uh strings, like vi- yeah. like um I guess polyester or whatever, just like a like a little ropes that lift it up and down. I mean it's very practical, but it just it could be also because it's very cold and when things are cold they shrink and when they shrink they tend not to mesh very well. Um, but it, it was annoying And you know For a $30,000 vehicle especially I realize this is kind of a small complaint
0: But I the, the interior- I don't know if that is a small complaint There are other vehicles in this class That are really buttoned down I mean when have we complained about, about rattles I mean the HRV makes a lot of noise But they, those are mostly engine and wind noise It's not like rattles and stuff well, I'd and like Things to- like that new Mazda CX-30 Which is a relatively quiet vehicle
1: yeah, and and you know, you bring up noise, and that's kind of where I wanted to go next. I can forgive little rattles in a, in a less expensive vehicle, although again, this is a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. Uh, once, especially once you factor in delivery, but the vehicle's drivetrain, the SX, the the SX Turbo, it comes with a one point six liter turbocharged four. It's one hundred seventy five horsepower, which is about thirty horsepower more than the base two liter engine, and it gives you, you know, a fairly decent amount of torque extra as well compared to the base but it is not what I would consider a refined power plant to the point where my passengers were asking me, why is the engine making that noise? Oh my uh, god! I know that almost never happens when I'm driving people around. Uh, and the noise they were referring to is the vehicle has a seven speed DCT, a direct dual, a dual clutch transmission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, it has a very short first gear. So I would be in first and then all of a sudden there'd be like a short shift to second. And in that space, it, it just, the engine revs to the point where it's it's quite loud. It has that vacuum cleaner-ish noise that you associate with a, a small turbocharged four. And mm. not only is it noisy, but I found it uh, not at all smooth. Just the character of the vehicle when I was driving it, I could never tell when it was going to shift unless I put it in comfort mode as opposed to the, I think it's called smart, the like uh, the adaptive mode, and there's a sport mode. Both of those were just too abrupt and uh, too responsive or not responsive or unpredictably responsive to the throttle. And when I put it in the comfort mode, it, it was a lot smoother, but I had to deal with the fact that the throttle itself was like super laggy. So that was the trade-off. I could never find a happy medium inside the Celtos Turbo that made me feel comfortable driving around town or on the highway.
0: I mean that's really that's really an issue because the 1.6 turbo that's in this car is nothing like it. It shouldn't be an all new engine. I think it's been used in other vehicles throughout the Kia and Hyundai lineup, like even the Soul Turbo that you've driven a long time ago, um, or um, a Kia Forte Turbo, right? So I wonder what the what the big differences here with the with the Celto's might be. And whether or not the responsiveness is more on the on the part of the transmission, which seems to be a little, um, a little underbaked, I think is the best way to call it. And it sounds just as unrefined as some early generation dual clutch transmissions, right? Like, those are the same kind of issues that we remember having when dual clutches were kind of new.
1: I kind of feel like I haven't had an experience like this since maybe the Renegade, Oof. when the Renegade was new, just in terms of spiky throttle response. Um, I... I you know the power is good though. I mean, the vehicle has enough power to get out it of its own way. That was never really a problem. There's a lot of room inside for hauling stuff around, which I did with the vehicle. I uh, hold a, again, still moving apartments around, so I hauled a <laughs> whole bunch of boxes. Um, no tires? No tires. No, it's too cold uh. for tires, Sammy. But uh, it's it was it was perfect for that, and it's reasonably comfortable. Uh, it, I. Find that the balance between the footprint of the vehicle on the outside and the, the amount of utility you get on the inside is good. And like I said, I enjoy the styling. I think it's a, I think it's a, a pretty well-designed look. But I can't recommend this vehicle in turbo form. The, the price is too high for the refinement that you're not getting. And I really feel like just the, the overall character of the vehicle is something you'd be much better appreciated as a $20,000 model.
0: This whole segment kind of bothers me. It all feel like many of these vehicles sound feel like reactions they like I think early on it was a white space that had yet to be kind of um explored thoroughly and now every automaker has a has a really similar vehicle to the next in this segment, and none of them really very few of them stand out for any particular reason yeah um and I think that's really disappointing because. I think people look for cross, looking, are looking for something very particular in a crossover, be it safety, comfort, or space. And if you're not getting those three things, what makes this crossover a better purchase than, than a sedan, for example, a compact sedan?
1: And another kind of building on what you're saying, I feel like a problem with these vehicles is not every model should have a luxury trip. Uh, I think there truly, there are vehicles that are oriented towards value and they should stay oriented towards value. Like this is something we get in Canada. It's not available in the US, but like the Nissan Micra is a perfect example. Very small, subcompact hatchback. There's no need for it a, a, a comfort, comfort oriented version of that vehicle. It's designed to be basic transportation. I guess the Nissan Versa is kind of a, an example of that. And um, the Chevy Bark, the Chevy Spark, sure. That's another vehicle where there's not really a top tier trim. You know, you But that's get- not
0: fair. These are cars that like to- like fit a budget. of ten grand, right? Like. Well, that this, is what I,
1: this is what this is what I'm. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm saying this is good. I, these vehicles know their role. I guess to borrow a WWE catchphrase. Uh, yeah. These are vehicles that aren't reaching above their station. And I think that some car companies, especially in the crossover segment, they see the extra dollars that are out there if they offer something that feels luxurious. And so they go for it. They never question the fact that maybe it's okay to just have an affordable, basic transportation crossover.
0: Mm. Okay. I kind, of, I kind of see that. Like, I, I truly do think back to, I think, early starts to this, to this segment we had, like, I think the Chevrolet Trax for example was one of the early entries in this in a subcompact crossover we had things like the um the Subaru Crosstrek and those didn't uh, emphasize sort of like lots of power or uh, or leather seats or uh, you know high style or anything yeah like it that. was they it wasn't just, in the
1: conversation right
0: yeah and now we have all sorts of these kinds of options in the in the segment but they all kind of feel like they're compromised or missing something admitting uh, the complete experience.
1: It's almost like you know we're starting to get Hyundai's starting to do it with the N line where they're making a bunch of N-ish vehicles that are performance look but not necessarily delivering on that. You know, there's like the Tucson that's coming up. Uh there's mm. what was this what was the vehicle that we we, we spoke about recently that had oh. that is there's a Kona N N line that's coming out and um It's similar type of philosophy where it's like, why do we need a performance-ish version of this vehicle? Why do we need a luxurious version of this vehicle? Can it stand on its own? And again, you mentioned it before, white space that needs to be filled. Every other vehicle in the the lineup has a luxury option. So why not these? And also for Kia and Hyundai, this has kind of been their bread and butter. It's providing more features than you would expect for the money. So the natural uh, evolution of that is giving you a luxury version where you wouldn't expect a luxury version.
0: Okay, then you gotta hit me with this. Like what are some of the features that this Celtos has that other vehicles wouldn't have had, or at least for the price? Like I mean, no, but that's uh, the it, it thing. used to be just, it used is- to be that there were that like Hyundai vehicles would offer or Kia vehicles would offer like vented seating in this class, vented seating or cooled seating in this class when that was never um, easily found, right? I mean, this yeah, this mean,
1: this, this has vented and cooled seats and it has a heated steering wheel and whatnot. But uh, at $30,000, if I'm buying a $30,000 SUV, I have so many more options than I do uh, in terms of features than if I was buying the $21,000 version of the Seltos, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why would I restrict myself to the Seltos at that point? Why would I not look it, maybe something a little bit bigger a little more refined maybe something with a luxury badge you know that's my issue with this vehicle i don't think that it's compellingly priced at that at 30 grand
0: there's no gimmicks there's no like Nothing. must buy feature no there's
1: at, at any price point there's no must buy feature for this vehicle and that's fine it's it's yet another useful crossover and if you stick at a low price it's it's affordable um there the the, the one feature that it has that I think is trying to be a must-have that was more of an annoyance to me was it has a Bose stereo system that has this mood light thing where it's supposed to... Remember how some Kias used to have mood lights in the speakers and the doors? I thought it was the Soul. I thought it was particularly a feature catering to the Soul. It might have been, but now it's expanded to the point where not only does this vehicle have that lighting, it has a light bar on the dash in front of the passenger that throbs sort of in time with the music.
0: I've seen this... Like I said, I thought this was for the Soul, specifically for the Soul. And I'm really disappointed that this would be – this. I, I thought that was part of the – element. like, the Soul has had this, like, really aggressive uh, marketing campaign that says it's not like other cars, it's more vibrant, it's, it's like poppy, um, and that, like, light signature within the cabin was a part of that process, and now you're adding it to other vehicles, and I think that waters down what – and I think I've been seeing this about the Soul, which used to have a pretty um, – specific interior a very unique interior and now it's looking like every other Kia and that's happening across the board the, the the parts of the soul are being transplanted into other vehicles and other vehicles are being transplanted into the soul and that now we've we've watered down a very um a very unique vehicle in the lineup so i i don't have a problem with mood lighting and ambient lighting and stuff what I do have a
1: problem with is putting a flashing light on the dashboard directly in the eye line of the driver. And I'm getting, as Sammy mentioned earlier, uh, just before the podcast, we were talking about this, and he says that maybe I'm not able to operate modern cars properly anymore.
0: <laughs> I had. I, I don't know I was, if I said it that way. That's mean. You're gonna get all of the. You're gonna get everyone like messaging me saying that you don't that I'm being too mean to you or that's usually agent or I'm,
1: usually I'm the mean one. But um, it's. I am un- I I had a real hard time trying to find the menu option to turn it off. And actually, uh, I posted something on Instagram about it. And I had one of our our uh, listeners message me to tell me how to do it. But it's not in the audio menu. It's not in the standard lighting menu. It's not in the standard vehicle options. So it's it's kind of buried in there. Anyway, my point is, don't put a flashing light on the dashboard. Keep it keep it in the speakers on the doors. That I can understand, but not in my line of sight, please. That is just super distracting. And if it is meant to flash in time with the music, make it flash in time with the music, not like a half second behind. So it's kind of like a sleepy light that's not really at the party.
0: Um, I also think about this is... You know, trying to figure out the, the RGB controls on that or, or however it, the ambient con- lighting controls see, is hidden behind these, uh, these menus on the touchscreens. When I don't know if you've seen like gaming PCs or gaming laptops, which are loaded to the gills with all sorts of obnoxious uh, RGB LEDs, and they usually just have like one button to press to change those settings a really tiny hidden button that you can press and it just changes it. That, should, that would be so much easier. Physical button so that we don't have to go hunting for it. Uh, to turn off these distracting features, well, physical, right? or turn on these distracting features. Physical
1: buttons are, you know, they are a dying breed, Sammy, inside automobiles.
0: <laughs> I think we'll talk about physical controls later in the in the podcast, but I actually want to talk about an alternative to what you've been driving, um, which is instead of going for a subcompact crossover, you can actually instead probably get a compact sedan um, loaded to the gills with features, the and and less compromised in terms of what it's delivering. Again, the past few weeks, I've been talking about compact cars. Uh, I talked about the Corolla SE Apex Edition, which was this really um, awkwardly hardcore version of the Corolla. Uh, I also then talked about the Mazda 3 Sedan, which is this really premium, um, upscale compact car. And then I've got the Hyundai Elantra, which is a much more, I think, a more generally... Uh, it's a, it's a sedan that that target the general audience a little bit a little bit better with more space with um, features like all, as mentioned loaded to the gill with features and um, and a pretty decent drivetrain and and uh, driving dynamics.
1: So my question about the Elantra: first off, is it a hatchback?
0: No, this it, is not a hatchback because it's got sedan. that
1: kind of fastback look to the rear, and I, I see that and I'm like, oh, I want that to be a hatch so bad. It totally looks like the
0: profile of the Civic. Yeah. Like, and I think this is one of the the weirdest parts about the Elantra is that I think for a long time it was chasing the Corolla and then it just pivoted and turned into a Civic. Like, it's a very bizarre design uh, and not just exterior design, but like overall design that I think the, the Elantra originally was trying to be a value play in this segment and it was a pretty popular product, uh, a good alternative to the Civic and the Corolla, but always ended up you know, kind of losing itself within that battle because people just recognize the reputation that Honda and Toyota have in this segment. But this new vehicle really goes after the um, not quite a midsize sedan segment or, or basically a vehicle that is a midsize sedan, but for a less amount of money that the Civic goes for. Because I truly believe that the Civic was the, the, this last generation Civic that is now becoming, uh, there's going to be a new one coming along, was a really big car. It was family oriented, uh, more so than past ones, which I think felt sport compacty and and kind of for um, young single people.
1: So the Elantra, I mean, which version did you drive? Because I know there's a, there's a hybrid model, mm-hmm. there's a two liter four cylinder model, and there's a turbo turbocharged 1.6 that's probably almost the same as what I had in the Celto's, right?
0: Right. I drove honestly. I drove the main the the mo- the What would you describe it? Not the N-line, not the hybrid, not the upcoming N, just the normal Elantra. There's no other, like, trim designation at the end of it. It's the ultimate model in the United States. Um, I think that, I mean, in Canada, I think it's the SEL model in in the U.S. Let me just double check. Ultimate
1: Uh, is is, is a pretty
0: uh, loaded term to add to a car like it because the ultimate model the ultimate trim level is not the ultimate model that you can add more options to that to that model which <laughs> more I of a penultimate model, model exactly um it's also worth pointing out that this car was recently awarded the north american car of the year which is a very big deal for for the elantra and for the segment it, it kind of signifies that the compact car segment is not done Is not had its final moments it's not you know we're not all left to these uh crossovers that you had.
1: Well, you know, the, I'm looking at pricing and you said it's similar to it's it's the equivalent is SEL, right?
0: No, the equivalent is the Limited model. Okay. So
1: it's few. it's still 3 grand cheaper than that Seltos. That's a
0: pretty good deal, man. Um for the for that money, the things that you lack the most would be all-wheel drive and probably the motor because this engine is just a 147 horsepower 2-liter 4-cylinder. Um it's an okay engine. It it thanks to Hyundai's CVT which can sound a little like strained at high at high, high RPMs. It's a pretty responsive CVT. So I think we've got I maybe it's taken some time to accommodate to what the CVT feels like, but I think now they're becoming a little bit more refined. People are getting used to them. They deliver excellent fuel economy. I'm telling you this thing brought in like uh, hybrid levels of fuel economy, close to 40 miles per gallon during my wow. my test drive with it, which is insane for a non hybrid model of a of a vehicle. Especially and imagine there's going to be a hybrid version too, and especially since you know the price is
1: affordable. Plus, you mentioned that this isn't really a compact car; it's like a midsize car in disguise.
0: Totally. It has way more space than that Corolla and the Mazda 3 that I drove recently, both in the rear seat, the rear seat and the cargo area. It also has some pretty impressive technology. I talked about this back in the uh, first drive of it, but there's a massive 10.25 or, or t- 10 point, 10.25? 10 and a quarter? Is that the best way to say it? 10 and a say quarter it a you're most comfortable. There's a massive 10 and a quarter inch touchscreen infotainment system as well as a um, 10 and a quarter inch uh, gauge cluster display it is uh it's pretty like um impressive i mean we used to see these kinds of gauge clusters in premium vehicles and now we're seeing it again in in cars as mainstream as um compact cars right um there's a couple of things that i don't like about the car and i i've mentioned them before um the there's a handlebar between the <laughs> driver and the passenger wait what <laughs> Yeah, there's a very large handlebar that comes down from the center console to the armrest, and kind of limits the access the to the um, HVAC controls and infotainment system for the for the passenger, which is very bizarre. Okay, have you seen this photo? Have I shown you this photo? I think no, I, have. I don't think I've seen it. Um, I think something like that would stick with me. <laughs> and um there was one more thing that uh that is a bit of a bummer. I use Android Auto when I when I test my cars sometimes and um when you use Android Auto with the infotainment system, it also blanks out like a good quarter of the screen to just say Android Auto. It doesn't use the whole 10 inches of the of the screen for Android Auto, which is a huge bummer.
1: You, and is that an Android Auto pro, Android Auto problem or is that a Hyundai problem?
0: I don't know. I think it's probably the um the, how you describe it, the, I think it's a Hyundai integration issue because I've seen other other ways of using Android Auto where you can use that kind of, um, it, it's not like a, what's the best way to describe this? It's not like a usual aspect ratio, I suppose, that 10.25 um, inches. And um, I, I think that currently the Elantra doesn't know what to do with that quarter of a, of a screen there.
1: So um, would you recommend buying this vehicle? And if you wouldn't, what would you buy instead?
0: So that's a very important question to ask. Um, there there are so many corners now of the compact car segment. Uh, something that I tried to articulate with the last week's episode of the podcast with the Mazda 3, which was a very premium oriented car, though not very practical. And then I talked about the Corolla, which was surprisingly fun to drive but uh, a little too harsh for the day-to-day commute this car is probably the most um well-rounded and for the most amount of people would be the best car but it's not it might not be the best car for our listeners because i think we have a lot of enthusiasts um listening to the podcast for example who might want something a little bit more engaging a little bit more fun a little with a little bit more personality um in theory that's the elantra n right Yeah, I think that would be a better pick. Or you know what? We've talked about how much fun the Corolla is to drive. Um, I think there's some other fun to drive cars in this class that I'm blanking on now, which is a shame. But it it just goes to show that you just drove a compact, a subcompact crossover that felt compromised and cheap in some ways. And I'm driving a compact car, which feels loaded um, and is still um, a, a really decent buy and can accommodate a family um, or a growing family with, with as much ease as that subcompact crossover might be able to.
1: So, you know, as one segment kind of gets diluted, another one is you could argue that because there's so much focus on crossovers and SUVs and so much interest in them from buyers, people are car companies are just churning those out, right? They're just like, okay, we got to fill mm-hmm. that space. But because that's taking the sales away from compact cars, the compacts that are left have to be better. They have to be intriguing or interesting or somehow, you know, appeal to a specific audience or there's no room for them in the showroom.
0: Yeah, 100%. And we've seen some automakers just pull out from the segment altogether. Um, I think Ford and Chevrolet have both bailed out on the Fusion – the Focus and the Cruise. I mean Ford's bailed out on all cars except the Mustang. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so it 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 goes to show that like they – compact cars are not dead they're getting better but i'm curious to see how how long that's gonna last too right i'm gonna be honest Uh,
1: i'm not averse to the idea of fewer options that are better across the board than many options where you have to hunt out what's good
0: can you can you expand on that what do you mean in 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 a given class or across the whole the whole in a given class. class so you know
1: like i would prefer to choose from 10 great crossovers as opposed to 30 crossovers where 10 are good Okay. And it's up to me as the buyer to like do my homework and figure out which ones are actually going to work for me. Uh, if the world was a meritocracy in terms of cars, then only really great designs would make it to the market. And that's really not the case right now for crossovers.
0: Yeah. And that wasn't the case all the time with sedans either. Uh, compact cars, there used to be a lot of compact cars and some of them were kind of, uh, they were kind of duds. But you know what? This this segment, this Segment has really improved. Uh, I haven't driven it, and I don't think you have either. But a lot of people have been raving about the new Nissan Sentra, which is a really big surprise to me because I thought the last two generations of the car were kind of—they uh, were not worth t- taking a, a not, close not look the, at. Not,
1: not especially not the SER.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so now we're seeing this car being mentioned with, with alongside the new Elantra um, and the and the Civic. So I'm curious to see, you know. You know, are they put it, Are are automakers putting their best foot forward still in the segment? It seems like it. Or do you think there there should be like a a, con, a contraction of a couple of segments? Like, do you think the new Subaru Impreza, for example, should still be offered? Do you think even Subaru's car section or car segment should still be a, a priority for the for the automaker?
1: I think so. I think that they sell enough of their cars. I think Subaru is a company that isn't big enough to sell cars that no one wants. Uh, except for the PRC, I guess <laughs> yeah. they've got one. They can't have more than one. So uh, I think the only reason those cars are still there is because people are buying them. That being said, I'm pretty sure they sold the B9 Tribeca for like seven years to 200 people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A year or cum- cumulative? Cumulative. Oh no! But I mean, it's serious. I mean, should we talk about cars that don't need to be uh, offered in the segment, or and that automakers are spending more money? Making and selling and marketing these cars. Sure,
1: there's there's lots of cars like that, but you know they're not always what you'd think because we were talking earlier about the Spark, right? The Spark yeah. came out I don't know eight years ago, something like that, six years ago, some some distant time, and it hasn't really
0: changed, and it's it's gone now, I'm sure, or it's about to be gone. It but, got a pretty good looking refresh. It looked it, it went from being a very strange looking Cor- like made in Korea car to something a little bit more um, appealing to American. And,
1: and I think the Spark was perfectly fine.
0: <laughs> I yeah, this, it was exactly what it needed to be, as exactly, you mentioned earlier.
1: I would recommend the Spark to someone in that price segment. Like, there's no reason not to buy the Spark. So that's that's a car that it was, it doesn't stand out in any way, but it's good at what it does. And, but okay. there are there are cars that are much more modern designs that really don't need to be out there. I think the Seltos is a perfect example. Like, Kia itself has better options other than the Seltos. So, like, what are you really doing with these vehicles? You're just pumping them out onto the market.
0: Yeah, I always found the Seltos to be a very bizarre, a bizarre place for Kia to. On- they have these two pseudo crossovers in the Soul and Nero, yeah. which I think are pretty well, pretty well received. Like, I, I would, would like want to. either of those
1: over the Celto's. I because mean, you can't, like, you can't get all-wheel drive. You can't get all-wheel drive in the Soul, right? So I guess that's the big differentiator. But totally. if you need to protect the Celto's by keeping all-wheel drive from the Soul, uh, that doesn't speak very well to what this vehicle has to offer.
0: I mean, that's all it offers. Uh, you said it. Right? Like that just, that doesn't seem great. Um, actually, there is something that you wanted to discuss, um, and, it, and it revolves around Tesla. And we don't usually cover Tesla in this podcast because, believe it or not, Tesla does not have a press fleet for you and I to drive. In fact, they just let, the, the only way for us to test drive a Tesla would be to borrow one from Turo, which is kind of like... Uh, uh, Airbnb for cars, so I don't know if that. I feel like uh, you just pitched me Turo. You're like, okay, he, yeah, ten but million I mean, dollars for five percent of my company. <laughs> I can't provide a a ownership experience based on driving somebody else's car, right? It, this is what Steve's car is like. I don't know if every car is going to be like and that. For, Steve's not going
1: to let me drive his car anyway, so you know. But I I, I don't know too much about this this Tesla refresh uh, for the Model S. What I do know is two things that are kind of silly about it, and I just just want to point out that they're silly. The first is the steering wheel has been replaced by a yoke, like you'd see in an airplane. So it's like not round, and it doesn't have turn signals. It has to guess where you're going based on what the vehicle's doing at any given moment. That's straight from Elon's mouth. He posted that on Twitter. Uh, And if you want to correct it, you have to do that on the touchscreen. So I don't really feel like I have to point out why all of that is ridiculous but I should mention that I think that this type of behavior from Tesla is done because they're at the end of innovation. I don't think they really know where to go next with the cars, so they're doing what they've done from the beginning, which is challenge the status quo, and that worked for a really long time when they were able to, you know, be um, so progressive with their battery technology and create a vehicle outside the mainstream of, you know, the standard. Um, car company practices and manufacturing stat, um, manufacturing practices, all that stuff. But now they're at a point where they don't really know where to go next. So they're just going to be different. And just being different is not really a marketing strategy or a design philosophy. And that's kind of how I feel about putting a yoke in your car and with no turn signals.
0: I think that it is, um, I don't think it's finished. I think what we looked at were renders. They're not full, fully finished products. This is what they want to do. And maybe they just ran out of time rendering the rest of the steering wheel, which is now this, like, U-shaped um, apparatus. Which I, And there's no, there are no stocks. There is nothing to control um, the, the, the turn indicators. And I don't imagine that will be done through a touchscreen. That seems worse than than anything i could ever imagine
1: it's it's not the only vehicle that was sold with a yoke i i looked into it and back in the mid 50s know this one you could buy a measure
0: what about a Saab? i swear Saab tried to do like a joystick or a not in a production car no there's tons okay. of
1: concept car stuff like this but that actual production the kr200 measure was this three-wheeled car with like a wheel at the back and two wheels in the front Uh, Because Mr. Schmidt was like kind of building these weird hybrid motorcycle cars at that time. And they Mm. offered a yoke. And like their yoke was like, it looked like the handlebars on a bicycle. (laughs) So (laughs) um, it didn't turn very much because it didn't have to turn very much. But uh, it's a different situation in 2021, I think.
0: But going back to what Tesla has, I know that I think they used to offer, um, they used to allow the control of wipers on the touchscreen as well. And I don't see why not the drive, the like, Drive or reverse select, like select would be on the screen, it wouldn't be on the screen as well. Uh, it seems super easy to do. These are electric vehicles, they don't have a physical gear to change gears into. It's just like that. They can just press a button, and we should be able to go. We should Unless someone, you know, smashes on your car. screen
1: and your vehicle's immobilized.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, on, we shouldn't have to rely on the car guessing. Whether or not you're going forward or reverse, it doesn't seem to make any sense. Or to what me lane anymore. you want to change into.
1: It. it is. It's. It feels like a flippant way to approach
0: safety. <laughs> you know, I don't. Be- I just don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it in in action. And well, this vehicle
1: will cool, we'll easily hit production in 2027, so you got a little bit of time to. <laughs> That's me. But the other thing about the Model S is uh, physically or sorry, the exterior of the vehicle looks almost identical because as someone pointed out on Twitter, um, manufacturing is hard and changing all of the manufacturing to retool for different sheet metal is something that I don't think Tesla knows how to do or can do in an affordable way. So that's another indicator maybe of where Tesla is in their corporate evolution.
0: That's really interesting. Now, they did have a refresh for the, um, for, the, for the Model S at some point in the lifespan of it, where they changed the front grille. Do you remember that? No. Where they kind of closed that ginormous grille into something a little bit more sleek, and that's it. Like That was the, the biggest design change that they've had to the exterior of the car, and they haven't really made any, any significant changes um, afterwards. So it is interesting, but maybe they're trying to stick to a corporate design uh, language.
1: Well, Yeah, you can have a design language that evolves. I mean, the, the Model S has been on the market for, what, a decade now? Mm-hmm. In any case, that's kind of all I wanted to say about that.
0: Cool. Um, I, I'm eager to see what happens when this thing hits the market and whether or not it can truly uh, guess, I don't know, based on what, my, t- the tone of voice or uh, – maybe, maybe that's how it works. It chooses drive selection and, and – signal turns based on my voice maybe up. they're
1: licensing the subaru ai and it's just gonna oh, yeah. like make a friendship with you what's a toyota one that like didn't wasn't the toyota vehicle at ces that like guessed your mood oh, there's guess there's your always it's always a
0: vehicle at ces that guesses your so mood. so yeah they're
1: licensing the mood technology and that's gonna that's gonna basically replace nav and just drive for you
0: <laughs> that's perfect okay um let's close up the podcast today with um, some plugs for the website what do you think Sure.
1: uh, You can find past episodes where we probably don't talk about Tesla at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also find us at pretty much any podcatcher out there. I mean, iTunes, Google, uh, we're on Spotify, CastBox, um, Amazon. Just search Unnamed Automotive Podcast and you will find we have over 200 episodes waiting for you to discover. Please be gentle on our early episodes. We were just getting used to the whole idea of podcasting.
0: Yeah, I had never heard my voice before. Sam Uh,
1: never. He never had. It's honestly, I remember, Sammy, the first time you saw a mirror. And our first podcast episode reminded me of that
0: moment. Uh, we're also on a new cl- a new platform that I had never heard about, Verbal. Is that what it's called? Uh, we are not on Verbal. We're not on Verbal. No, okay, I good, had words you. with them good. and we are no longer with them. Excellent. Thank you for taking us off Verbal. Um, while you're on our website, you can easily get in touch with us because we have a contact form there. You press this uh, link on the top of the page. Wait, wait. Is it a button, Sammy? <laughs> I think it's a button or a link. Anyways, you fill it out. It lands in our inbox. You can also email us the old-fashioned way benjamin at Benjaminhunting.com. that's the that's what you put in the two field uh furthermore you can get in touch with us on social media i'm on twitter at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing and you can find ben on instagram at hunting benjamin all right uh so
1: sammy speaking of surprises what are you going to be driving next week
0: um i almost forgot i think it's the chevrolet blazer you think it's the Chevrolet Blazer? I think so. I Is it covered so. with a dark sheet? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't have my calendar nearby.
1: Okay, I'm going to be driving the uh, Kia K5. And cool. I, I know that for sure. Like, it's not a it's not a maybe. It's not a I think.
0: Okay, good. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about that and for our bonus episode coming up soon. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.